I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Kings, where we continue our study of the early reign of King Solomon, who was anointed king by his father, David, and uh, is now uh, established in the kingdom as uh, the Lord's anointed king. We come to chapter 3 of 1 Kings, where we are tonight, we'll read... Chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. In this chapter, we find primarily recorded for us Solomon's, uh, the Lord's uh, putting before Solomon the opportunity to ask him uh, for uh, that which he would like for the Lord to give. And Solomon uh, prays for the gift of wisdom. So we're going to look tonight at uh, this event in Solomon's life and try to learn some lessons concerning prayer. Hear the word of God as it comes to us in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. And the people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place, And Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, 
both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge that all of that which you have taught us in these books of the Bible, in this history of your people, the people of Israel, you have given to us for a purpose. As we consider tonight your revelation to King Solomon, we pray that you would give us understanding hearts. And Father, we do pray that you, by your grace, would reveal to us one who is greater than Solomon, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Solomon is a young man, and he has been anointed king over Israel in the place of his father. And he's been given a task to rule over the people of God, a task for which he feels himself unqualified. And though none of us are kings, as Solomon was, don't we often find ourselves in circumstances where we feel that the tasks to which we have been called are greater than the resources that we have, and we don't feel qualified either. And as we begin this chapter, uh, we need first to, uh, before we come to the actual revelation of God to Solomon, just to note the first couple of verses where we're told that King Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter as his wife. And uh, this is a difficult fact to grapple with, given the fact that the Lord had commanded uh, the rulers of Israel and the people of Israel not to intermarry with the people of the land. Now, Scholars and commentators notice that Solomon here creates a marriage alliance with the kingdom of Egypt, whereas the commandments in Deuteronomy primarily have to do with intermarriage with those idol-worshipping peoples who lived in Canaan. Some commentators uh, are of the opinion that this uh, Alliance should be interpreted positively as Solomon is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ who enters into the Lord Jesus himself, has entered into a covenant with his bride, which is made up of people from all nations. And then there are others who see this negatively as the very beginning, a notice of the beginning of Solomon's infidelity. In addition, we're told that the people were sacrificing in the high places, which again is something that the uh, law of God told them not to do. 
But the reason is given that the house of the Lord had not yet been built. And it's hard to know how to interpret this. Uh, Gibeon is one of the great cities of uh, Judah. And uh, it just is a short distance from uh, Jerusalem. And it appears that it was the place of of a great altar, a place of worship. And uh, the author of this chapter does not seem to portray these things negatively. Um, And the reason for that is we can see that in verse 3, something is said of Solomon. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Solomon loved the Lord. This is the only place in the Old Testament where it is said of an individual man that he loved the Lord. And here it is said of Solomon, Solomon loved the Lord. He had a heart love for God. And so this statement is one that is approving of Solomon. And it's a sign of the Lord's pleasure in Solomon that the main subject of this chapter, which is the appearance to Solomon of God to him one night as he is sacrificing in Gibeon, the Lord appears to him. So without rendering too much by way of analysis or judgment concerning these matters in the first couple of verses, I'd like for us to consider the Lord's appearance to Solomon in uh, a dream. And we're going to consider this under four headings. And the first is God's invitation to Solomon. The second is Solomon's prayer. And thirdly, God's response to that prayer. And then fourthly, uh, Jesus is the greater Solomon. The main point of this chapter can be summarized in this way. God is pleased when we ask him for wisdom. God is pleased when we ask him for wisdom. When we feel weak, unqualified, and unable to know what we ought to do in a given situation, when we Bow before the Lord and ask him. He is pleased. So let's consider, first of all, the Lord's invitation to Solomon. The Lord's invitation to Solomon. We're told in verse 5, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. Now the Lord's appearing to Solomon is in a dream. And in the Old Covenant, Dreams were one of those ways in which God revealed himself to the patriarchs and here in this case to Solomon. This is not just a mere uh, a dream that he's having um, that is uh, of no consequence. This is God appearing to him in a dream, in the form of a dream. And it's important for us to understand that what is taking place here is a revelation of God. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give 
to you. The Lord is here inviting Solomon to prayer. And so he does with each and every one of us as well. He invites us to ask him in prayer. The Shorter Catechism defines prayer as an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. An offering up of our desires to God. And so here God says to Solomon, and he says to all of us as God's people, ask. Now that's a, that is something that we find repeated throughout the Bible. God doesn't speak to us as he did to Solomon in a dream and speak audibly to us. He doesn't say to us in that same form, but he does in Scripture say those words to us. Jesus said, ask, didn't he? Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. When it comes to the matter of our relationship with God, our Creator, when it comes to the matter of those most important things in life, we sometimes overcomplicate. We sometimes... uh, are at a loss as to know what we ought to do and how we ought to proceed and what the Lord would have us to do. And here is an open door for each one of us. Where are you tonight? What things are you asking yourself? What things do you feel puzzled about and that you would like answers for? God here said to Solomon, ask. Jesus said, ask. It's a very simple thing, but it's a a thing that we stumble over that we don't do. Here God is in heaven saying to us, ask. And we go on in our own ways trying to figure things out. And it doesn't occur to us, far too often it doesn't occur to us, that God is in heaven saying to us, ask what I should do for you. James says this, doesn't he? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously. God is generous. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Again and again, the Bible brings us this message. Come before the Lord. And simply ask. Ask him. Let us, the writer of Hebrews says, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Are you in a time of need? Draw near to God. Draw near to the throne of grace and ask. So many things, uh, so many times the scripture invites us to do that. But now, secondly, consider Solomon's prayer. After God says to him, ask what I shall give you. In verse 6, 
Solomon says, and we have then the beginning of Solomon's prayer. And I'd like for us to just go through this and notice that when we approach God and when we ask, we ought to give him that awe and reverence that acknowledge him for who he is, that he is a God who has done and fulfilled that which he has promised in the past. And he, and that gives us confidence then to ask now for what lies in our place, in, the, in the, what it is that we need. And so in a sense, this prayer, before Solomon actually gets to the request itself, there's a preface, there are things that he says first. And so uh, here he says in verse 6, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. So let's pause there. We notice then first, in terms of Solomon's prayer, that he gives thanks to God for God's prior blessings that he has shown to his father, David. He says he tells God what he has already done in fulfilling his word to him and, his, and to his father. And he emphasizes the steadfast love, the covenant love that God showed to David. And certainly it is the case that David is revealed to us, to us in the pages of Scripture as a man after God's own heart and a man who loved the Lord. He was a man with great faults, but he loved the Lord. And the Lord opened to him his steadfast love. You read of David's sin, but you also read of David's deep repentance in Psalm 51. And you realize what David had to have gone through, through uh, the experience that he had dealing with his own sin, his own blindness. Over a span of over a year, he lived in alienation from God. And yet the Lord showed to him his steadfast love, that steadfast covenant love that God did not take away from him. And David responded in repentance and in faith and an ardent desire to continue to be that man that God had called him to be. And Solomon acknowledges to God, and he states to God, this is what you have already done. You have done this for my father. You have answered his prayer. You have made me king. You have made your servant king. The faithfulness of God. He thanks God for his faithfulness. The hymn that we so often remember Count your blessings, name them one by one. How much better off we would be in our praying to the Lord if we would begin by recounting to him his goodness that he has shown to us in Jesus Christ. If we would praise him for that covenant love that he has entered into with us in spite of our sin, 
in spite of our unworthiness, that God has been faithful to you, that God has blessed you in Jesus Christ. Yes, your heart strays. Yes, you find yourself wandering. Yes, you sin at times in ways that grieve you. And yet the Lord continues to bring you back. Recount to the Lord when you pray to him his steadfast love that he has shown to you. This is what Solomon does. He remembers God's covenant love. But the second thing we notice about Solomon's prayer is that he asks with humility. The second part of verse 7, he says, You have shown, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. Here is a, a beautiful embodiment of what Jesus referred to when he said to the disciples that they needed to come to him as children. Solomon felt this very keenly, and he expresses it, though he was, even at this time, a great king. He had already accomplished much, which we read about in the previous chapter. And the Lord had settled him on his throne. And in spite of being the anointed king of Israel, he is able to say to God, by God's grace, he says to God, I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. God is pleased when we show a willingness to come to him in humility and show a willingness to be taught by him. There is nothing more pleasing to God than when we confess to him our incapacity, our inability. And Lord, I am a child. I don't know. Teach me. Teach me. That is very pleasing to God. And Solomon expresses this. He does not come to God with pride, but he comes as a little child. God is pleased with that attitude in prayer. And then thirdly, we notice that Solomon asks, not for his own sake, but for the sake of the people he has been called to serve. In verse 8, And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? Solomon understands that he is lacking in wisdom, and the people of God are a great people, not in themselves, 
But their greatness lies in the fact that God has made them his people by his own grace and his mercy and in his covenant love. And it is the greatness of God that lies behind Solomon's sense of inadequacy as he realizes that this is a holy task to which he has been called to serve the people of God Almighty. And so it is that Solomon feels and senses the greatness of the people of God, your servant, in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered. Give, therefore, your servant an understanding mind. And so we see then as Solomon finally gets to his request. And he says, he says, Give your servant, verse 9, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. Solomon's request. We are not kings, and we are not judges in the sense that Solomon was. And yet, in every way, in every walk of life, we need to be asking the same kind of thing. We need God to give us discerning minds to be able to discern between good and evil. If you are a young person tonight, you can pray, Lord, You have given to me an eternal soul, and it is more precious than the whole world. What do you gain if you lose your soul and gain the world? You gain nothing. You have given to me an eternal soul that is more precious than everything in this world. How do I keep my soul? I am in the midst of a world that in which Satan tries all various kinds of ways to trick me and seduce me and to tempt me into sin. Things don't appear as they really are. Good is presented as evil, and evil is presented as good, and darkness is presented as light, and light is presented as darkness. And I find, even in myself, an inclination toward that which is evil. I often find in my thoughts and feelings that I do those things that I hate and I don't know how to control them. Oh, Father in heaven, give me understanding to know good and evil. That is a prayer a young person should pray. It's a prayer that a person of any age, but especially someone beginning in life. I think of someone who is a parent, our children, have been given to us with children who have eternal souls. I still remember very keenly the first time we had a child, and I, uh, I I was not prepared for the emotions that I felt at the birth of my oldest daughter. 
And I remember I, I couldn't just, I could not stop and think, couldn't stop thinking about the awesome responsibility that God had given me to bring this child up and train her in the things of the Lord. Because she has an eternal soul. As parents, we find ourselves at a loss as to know how to respond correctly in every situation to be sufficiently firm, but to be firm without being harsh, to be able to speak the truth without discouraging our children, not shaming them in the sense of discouraging them, but helping them to be aware of those things that they are not aware of, being aware not only of what we say, but how it is received by our children. There are so many challenges for us as parents and as grandparents so that we often cry, Lord, give me an understanding mind to discern between good and evil for who is able to rightly shepherd this little congregation that you have given to me. Each one of us who is a member of the body of Christ, we find that we are lacking in wisdom to know how we can rightly serve one another and relate to one another and love one another to listen carefully to what each other says. And when we're called upon to speak, to speak tenderly with kindness and in love, to build up and not tear down. Oh, how it is true that in the body of Christ we have reason to pray, Lord, give us understanding that we might discern between good and evil, that we might rightly love our brothers and sisters and build up the body of Christ. We come thirdly then to God's response to Solomon. It is a beautiful statement that is made in verse 10. And it is one that is a beacon that calls us to the kind of prayer that Solomon prayed. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Solomon's prayer he made because God moved him so to pray. It wasn't any righteousness of Solomon. God had led him to pray in that way, and yet God was pleased with that which he had done in Solomon's heart. And so God looked with favor upon this prayer. God is always pleased when we choose God. Solomon chose God and God's wisdom. He's pleased when we choose him above all other things. And God was pleased as well because of what Solomon had not asked. He said, you have not asked for yourself a long life or for riches. And Solomon had not aimed at his own selfish aggrandizement. He had not asked God for his own selfish sake that he might be built up and made a glorious king. He aimed for that which God delighted to give him, wisdom and discernment. And how easily it is the case that our minds fall into the habit of enlisting God as an ally in the fight for creature betterment almost oblivious to the fact 
that God is the king of glory and for his sake the world exists and the entire battle of the Christian's life is fought. Solomon did not fall into that trap. He didn't seek for his own betterment, but he sought for the wisdom that God could give for God's own glory. And then we notice God's gift to Solomon. God said to him, because you have asked this and you have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. That is a, that is a wonderful twist of phrase. I now do according, not to my word, but to your word. As you have asked, so I will do. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. And I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor. And how wonderful to see that God gave to Solomon what he did not ask for, as well as what he asked for. How God is described as one who can do far more than we are able to imagine or conceive. And Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things. Put the things of the kingdom first and all these other things will be added to you. And so this is exactly what we see in Solomon's case. So we see that the Lord was pleased with Solomon's prayer. And we can take it that if we also will ask with gratitude and humility and childlike faith, the Lord will be pleased with us when we ask him to grant us an understanding mind as our measure and as our circumstances require. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 2, incline your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as it is hidden as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This leads me finally to a consideration of this great fact that Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, is the revelation of the wisdom of God. And we can go further and make this point that the further revelation of God in the New Testament makes it clear that Jesus is the wisdom of God to us. And so for you and for me to ask for wisdom must begin in this way. We must recognize that Jesus is the Son of God and that he became a man to reveal to us God's wisdom. And so we want then to see that to ask for an understanding mind is, in a sense, to be asked to have an understanding of Jesus. Jesus is that one who is a greater than Solomon. The Bible says that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we learn in the New Testament that it is particularly in the cross of Christ that the wisdom of God is revealed. 
And while a criminal, what a person dying a death on the cross is foolishness to the world, it has been made to be the wisdom of God to those whom God reveals it. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified to those who are called Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The very best thing that all of us tonight can do is to ask God to show to us who Jesus is and what he has done, what his death on the cross means, and how I may, with childlike faith, confess my need and my sins to God and confess to him that I have disobeyed him and that I wish that he would take my sins away and that he would blot them out by his blood. That he who has been revealed to be the Son of God, who died on the cross and shed his blood, that he would make himself known to me. That that is the prayer that we need to pray. And I tell you tonight, if you will pray that prayer, that prayer is a prayer that the Lord God is pleased to hear, and he will answer it. Do you have a sense of your deep need? Do you have a sense of the guilt of your own sin? If you will come to him and acknowledge it and ask for his grace and for his power to be at work in you, he delights in that prayer. I close with these words of Edward Payson, who was the pastor of the Second Church in Portland, Maine, in his, the 1800s, early 1800s. He preached a sermon on this text, and I uh, thought I would just read to you what he said at the end of his sermon. He is pleased whenever you approach him. God is pleased whenever you approach him, Payson says, in prayer with the language of Solomon on your lips. You may not perhaps have been aware how many graces you were exercising, how much you were honoring and pleasing God, while lying in the dust, ashamed and brokenhearted before him. You have said, Lord, I am ignorant, weak, and helpless, as a little child, entirely unfit for the situation in which you have placed me, and ignorant how to go out and how to come in as I ought. Give me, therefore, O God, a wise and understanding heart that I may know my duty and practice it by glorifying thee and promoting the happiness of my fellow creatures. You did not realize, perhaps, while saying this, as you have often done to God, that you were exercising faith, humility, benevolence, and promoting the glory of God. And yet, all this you were doing, all this you will do, 
whenever you ask this thing, and the more frequently and fervently you ask it, the more will he be pleased. May God help us to do that. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, give us hearts that are childlike before you, willing to humble ourselves, willing to confess our emptiness and our neediness, and to ask, willing, O Lord, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and to ask of him for his grace and mercy in our lives. Would it be, O Lord, we pray, in your goodness, that there would be someone here, even tonight, who hears these words, who is struggling under a load of sin and guilt, who would come to you even possibly at his bedside tonight and ask of you to give that which you are delighted to do. And, O Lord, may it please you that we would frequently throughout our lives come to you in the spirit and that you would work your marvelous grace, your sanctifying grace, bringing us all the way through safely into the eternal kingdom which Christ will bring. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.